Welcome to the Unlock Philippines podcast, your once or twice weekly informational podcast on all things lockdown management related. We hope to help you get through what you need to get through so we can keep it together while we social distance apart. I'm Jet Akuzar. I'm based in the Philippines. And I'm Jantina Fong Nigaman. That's N-I-G-G-E-M-A-N-N, a Filipina based in Hong Kong, and we are your hosts. Unlock PH is all about practical information, so we want to bring on experts and everyday individuals alike to share their knowledge, expertise, and personal wisdom in a time when we could all benefit from a little more sharing. Our series' first guest is Carissa Coscoluela, Governor of the Philippine Red Cross. Jet gets on the phone with her today for her unique perspective on the help culture or Bayanihan, so let's tune in and see what Carissa has been kind enough to share with us. So our guest today is Carissa Coscoluela, Governor of the Philippine Red Cross and former Congresswoman for Buhay Party List. Welcome to the Unlock Podcast, Carissa. Thanks for having me, Jet. I'm so happy to have you. Um, it's, it's funny how we're having this kind of very formal um, greeting because you were actually my maid of honor <laughs> at my wedding. Yes, and, can you rem- and, and I'm sure you'll remember all the craziness we went through just before exactly it was it was so insane sometimes (laughs) I wonder which was harder for you like being my maid of honor or I mean because you're saying the it's the first day that the testing capabilities of the Philippine Red Cross have been made available to the public and you've been fielding calls all day so Mm -hmm. I don't know which one was more stressful (laughs) is more stressful uh-huh. planning my wedding or maybe the, maybe the not planning your wedding that was easy maybe the three days i'm so sorry wedding. about that <laughs> <laughs> that was such an insane that's fine time. that's um, fine yeah i had that's no idea fine. i was pregnant mm-hmm. so um but like what my pop said my son's intelligence he probably gets it from you because <laughs> you know that filipino like idea and naglilihe. remember how how horrible i was um but yeah, he's a very right. clever boy, and I like to think it's because of his Ninang Carissa's energy. Oh, wow. Um, okay, well, I'm flattered, but his mom... Okay, so we've got um, a little bit of background on the work mm-hmm. that you've done for the government. You were a former congresswoman. Mm-hmm. Would you like to tell us a little right. bit about that? Um, yes, so I was um, in the 14th Congress um, representing Buhay Partilist, and basically our advocacy is really a pro-life advocacy. Um, which, of course, nowadays goes beyond, um, you know, uh, contraceptive exactly. and um, anti-abortion kind of advocacy. Of course, for me, pro-life is really more about uplifting the quality of life and the, the lives in general of the Filipino people. So a lot of our initiatives mm. were geared towards um, job generation um, better services right. for for the people. Um, so yes, we were quite quite productive um, in Congress. I was pretty happy about and that. And that goes hand in hand with the work you do with the Philippine Red Cross because um, that's all to do with saving lives and rising to the occasion when there's natural disasters and calamities. Um, am I right when I say that? Right, of course. Um, a lot of people like to call it charity, but really the, the Philippine Red Cross is a humanitarian organization. Right. Um, in the past, we have been a lot about blood. 
um, you, a lot of people will be very familiar with Rosa Rosal, yes, yes. who um, really uh, upped the profile of the Red Cross as uh, the organization that gives blood to, to a lot of people who, who need it. And she did a fantastic job with that. Um, but since then, the Philippine Red Cross um, really has expanded into a lot of other services. Um, as you said, we're very, very active mm. during times of disaster. Right. Indigent patients, people who can't afford blood. Now, we don't sell blood right. because blood is donated to us. Mm-hmm. But there is a cost to processing the blood, to testing it, to cleaning it, to storing it, to dispensing it. That's- um, so that cost, of course, has to be covered. Now, um, if you can afford it, then you, you pay for that. But there are a lot of patients who can't afford it. So one of the projects I really like to focus on is our Blood Samaritan program, right. where um, we raise funds so that the cost for indigent patients is covered and they don't have to pay for anything for that processing fee when they come and get the blood. The blood, again, That's is That's fantastic. And um, actually going kind of going a little bit further on the topic of being a blood bank, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I wonder how your operations on that side of the Philippine Red Cross have been affected by the COVID-19 crisis because... Yeah. Right. So, yeah, just um, yesterday, our chairman, Senator Dick Gordon, sent out a call for, for blood donors. Mm-hmm. Um, being that we are under this enhanced community quarantine right now, people, of course, are not going out of right. their homes. I mean, for everybody's own safety, everyone Correct. is staying yeah. home, um, which means people are also not coming out to donate blood. Mm-hmm. And um, to give you an idea, in the last uh, two or three days, I've received maybe anywhere from four to seven calls wow. a day from people who are confined in hospital, not for covid um, but who need blood, either for an operation, a transfusion, right. um, you know, uh, cancer patients who, who need it. And this tells us that our hospitals don't have enough blood in their own blood banks. Um, I don't normally get this many calls a day. So I know from the number of requests I'm receiving right. that hospitals are low. Now, we're not, I'm not saying we have a shortage. Right. We don't. Um, but we need more. So we have called on people to come out. We've put in some protocols um, with the blood donations so that you're sure that you're safe. Right. Um, a lot of questions have come up about whether it's safe to donate blood. Is it safe uh, to donate blood? During this COVID. Yes. Um, so according to um, the U.S. Center for Disease Control and Prevention and American Association of Blood Banks, um, there's no correlation with um, the transmission of the disease through blood. So it's really like droplets. So it's perfectly safe. The, it's really the how droplets. interesting. It's not transmitted. So you're through blood. saying that even if somebody was COVID positive, and they donated blood mm-hmm. to somebody who wasn't infected with the virus, there is no chance for transmission. Um, that is what they're right. saying. However, in order to um, uh, have more safeguards um, on, the, on the matter, we have um, instituted some controls. So we ask anybody who's traveled right. um, to China or anywhere where there has been COVID not to donate blood for 28 right. days. 
anybody who has been exposed um, likewise, right. um, anybody who's been in contact with anybody with any respiratory illnesses, also the same to defer donation. So, if, you know, you'd have to be a very healthy person with no exposure to the disease and no travel to to COVID affected um, countries. Yeah, you know, areas. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. um. I wanted to talk to you today about help culture or bayanihan and damayan, mm-hmm. or I guess it's a, a way, a Filipino term for compassion because we're culturally mm-hmm. quite compassionate. And just like the Red Cross, we have this bayanihan culture where we rise to the occasion when it calls for it. Generally speaking, mm-hmm. I find um, we don't have to ask Filipinos for help when there is something that needs to be addressed, at least on a natural disaster or humanitarian sort of crisis level, you get a lot of people wanting to help. And these sort of makeshift, they're not exactly charities, but these community efforts sprout out kind of left, right, and center. And it's so inspiring and it's amazing. Um, And I feel like you would probably be a very good resource to kind of help us go through and understand fully what could be behind this sort of attitude that Mm -hmm. Filipinos have. So I guess what I'm asking in a long-winded sort of way is if you could have kind of like, if you could talk about inspiring or uplifting stories um, of Bayanihan Mm -hmm. and unity, that would be really great. Like, are there any particular like examples of Bayanihan that, that stand out when you think about it? Um, I think the Filipino culture is just um, generally very compassionate and it runs from the complete spectrum of society, from the less privileged to the very, very wealthy. Um, to give you an idea, going back to, to you were saying how, especially in times of disaster, um, it shows, you know, especially um, at the Red Cross, we see that uh, during the disaster itself, our donations spike. The Red Cross lives on donations. We don't receive any money from government um, because we are not a government organization. We're an independent humanitarian organization. So we live on donations and um, funds that we generate on our own. Um, And you will see that these donations really spike during times of disaster. Um, quiet times, it's a little harder. Right. So we have to be a little bit more creative about how we raise money. So you, but okay, going back to to the Bayanihan that um, everyone participates in, you'll see, I mean, the minute there's a disaster, everyone in their own little community, in their own little club, in their own little residential area is putting together um, a relief goods That's drive right, yeah. or a fun drive. Absolutely. Or, you know, now with this COVID thing, everybody got really, really creative and and looked at what was needed and people are... Responding to that, uh, yeah. You know, absolutely. fashion designers are oh, making so masks. Fashion designers are making PPEs. Yes. Um, so where everyone has uh, a core competence, um, they're doing what they can with what they have. Yeah. In, you know, when you go down to the barangay level, you'll really see how, you know, when there's a flood, when there's a fire, an earthquake, whatever, neighbors are always helping out neighbors. You know, they take the kids of the neighbor if, if you know, they need to take them so that, you know, it's easier for whoever needs to go out and maybe, 
you know, get food or whatever for the community, everyone really pulls together to help out. And that's just really the way the Filipino is. That's fantastic. Um, you'll see, you'll also see that um, a lot of um, local government units mm-hmm. um, who are, let's say, not affected by a disaster yes. will go and help a community that is. They've got nothing to do with it. What's someone in Bataan got to do with somebody in Compostela Valley? Really nothing. Um, but it happens. You know, they help each um, other out. Yeah. It happens. That's it fantastic. happens. And of course, yeah. as you know, um, we're not a very, we're not a rich country. Right. And an LGU doesn't have unlimited exactly. resources. But to share what they have. Another um, example I want to give you is um, at the Red Cross also, going beyond even the Philippines. For example, uh, earlier this year, during the bushfires in yes. Australia, um, uh, our chairman, uh, Senator Gordon, decided that we would raise funds to donate to the victims of the that's bushfires incredible. in Australia. So that's going beyond our own country. And we've also done that in the past with a tsunami in that's Japan. Fantastic. Um, it's nothing compared to what bigger countries would donate. But it's something, you know, to, yeah. to those countries. But it's something. And let me tell you, when it comes back, when we have a disaster, what they give back to us is times that's, that's 100. fantastic to hear. And you mentioned earlier that the Red Cross um, is dependent on donations. On a sort of lighter note, do you have any sort of anecdotes that you can share with us or stories where people have donated um, maybe kind of more humorous um, or interesting donations, so to speak? Because I worked for, let's just call it an organization, and um, one time we got a very interesting donation. Um, and one time somebody tried to donate a toupee <laughs> to our boss. Um, and it was like, okay, he was, was he balding, bald? but he wasn't quite bald yet. Balding. Um, because he, he was on all these posters and, you know, some concerned, can I, I guess I can say fans of his wanted to cover up the bald uh-huh. spots so we actually received the toupee <laughs> okay i and think like, it was like it? a big I debate in the office because i was like a low-level staffer you know i'm not i wasn't exactly like in the board or anything so it was like a big debate between me and the other kind of secretaries and assistants in the office of whether we tell boss that we got this in the mail <laughs> but yeah but i mean have you have you well, well, there have been some very creative Ooh, like ones. What? Um, uh, a lot of people, a lot of people have um, also uh, sold their own clothes, their own um, things that are in ah. good condition, bags, yeah. shoes, whatever, and then they they donate that to us. So that, that that's always nice. nice. Um, in terms of other donations, well, we get a lot of cash of course um from from big companies and um from it right and from international Mm -hmm. organizations as well and we also get um sometimes when a disaster is so so big like when you have a yolanda then the international red cross um will make an appeal they'll make an appeal to all the other national societies how amazing the movement um and then those societies will come so even up to now, we have the presence here of a lot of other um, national societies. Um, we've had here like the Spanish Red Cross, German Red Cross, and they undertake right, projects. Incredible. Um, 
uh, rehabilitation projects normally, and they see that through to completion. So it's really um, something Amazing. that the entire Red Cross yeah. movement mm-hmm. internationally gets involved in. And this is such a wonderful global effort. I know you'll get into the testing yes. bit later, but if I can just on one point, um, is these testing machines, you know, one day this right. COVID thing will be over. Um, and these testing machines that we got um, will not be, they'll not be useless, they'll not be obsolete because they are able to test for, Amazing. Other, for other viruses. Um, it's oh. not COVID specific, yeah. So then we have that for, for future use also. Welcome back to the second portion of our interview with Red Cross Governor Carissa Coscoluela. And in this segment of our interview, she'll be discussing her analysis on the current COVID-19 threat to our country and to the rest of the world. I wanted to ask you if you think that there was any real way to be prepared for the COVID-19 crisis, considering that there were shortages in China, which is where you know, the epicenter of the disaster is. How could we reasonably expect institutions and governments, for that matter, to prepare when even China, within China, where arguably most of the PPE materials and medical products are being produced, at least on a mass scale? Mm -hmm. And correct me if I'm wrong, they might be produced elsewhere, but at least from my very basic understanding is a lot of these materials Mm -hmm. come from China. And China was having its own shortages how could we reasonably expect any sort of government to be able to prepare enough for this when, you know, they had mask shortages, they had equipment mm-hmm. shortages, mm-hmm. you know? So what do you think about that? I mean, I think that this virus has caught the world um, in a way that no one could have really prepared for this. Nobody, nobody saw that it was going to be this big. Um, like you said, China itself was not prepared for it. I mean, if a country like the United States was not prepared for it, right. you know, um, Italy, Spain, um, the United Kingdom, you know, is in a big crisis about it now. Um, nobody could have been fully, fully prepared because nobody knew that the magnitude was going to be like this. Um, just to get back, you you mentioned that a lot of the um, PPEs and the masks are made in China. Um, are they? From Red Cross, uh, yes, most of it. But we were able to um, secure some. There is a company called Medtex here in the Philippines. They used to operate in Subic. Now they operate out of the Freeport area in Bataan, your province, Jet. Yes, and, where I'm from. Um, they also have a factory in Cambodia. So from the Red Amazing. Cross, what we did was um, we uh, sent, uh, we chartered a plane to pick up the PPEs from Cambodia, from their factory in Cambodia, because at the time it was so hard to get anything to come in from China. So that's a company called Medtex and we were able to get some from there. But okay, going back to your question, no, I don't think, um, you know, it, we could have prepared for it so perfectly. I mean, you see now, in the United States, in New York, I watch Andrew Cuomo's um, briefings every day. I mean, if they're not prepared for it, uh, right. how could we have been prepared for it? I think um, our government is doing its best um, in mm-hmm. terms of addressing the, the health um, issues. Um, there are many organizations like the Red Cross, um, private institutions, foundations who are um, stepping up to, to help. 
And I think at this point, I mean, I'm seeing a lot of finger pointing and blaming people um, for not doing enough. Um, I think we're at the point when we can't really afford to do that now. Um, we need right. to just, everybody right. just needs to, to step up and do what they can do and move forward because um, blaming people is not really going to get anyone anywhere. Right. Um, and I also wanted to ask, when did the Philippine Red Cross consider coronavirus, COVID-19, as kind of a, a real pressing threat to Philippine security? I mean, well, I guess what I'm trying to ask is, when did you guys think that it was a lot more serious than it was? Because it happened almost like, you remember it that? happened overnight. It right? happened overnight. I mean, it, like it we just happened without warning, almost like. Um, so we were having meetings about it um, in January, mm-hmm. as early as January. So we had started preparing um, for it in January. Of course, nobody could prepare fast enough for it because when it hit, Completely. it just did, mm-hmm. you know. But I would say January we started. Uh, talking about it in some of our meetings and and there were several um committees that were formed to to address it for when it would eventually hit us i find and i say this to a lot of uh, a lot of my friends like you i think we've had this discussion like i've said that one of the biggest issues that i've found with covid-19 is mm-hmm. that it's super polarizing is that people either fall under they fall under two camps either you are the kind of person who thinks that coronavirus is a huge threat and is a killer mm-hmm. virus and is completely novel or mm-hmm. you fall into this other category or of people who kind of think that it's just a really bad case of flu who still don't mm-hmm. think that it's that the, that the response that governments globally are taking is warranted because they think it's just a you know it's just a bit of flu and you know, I've heard this in some conversations. People have said that more people die of typhoid. So it's tough, I think, for people. And, it, it, and mm-hmm. what I've realized, it's different people have different ways of processing and coping and analyzing the information that they receive. And mm-hmm. because now we have, like, we're inundated with information. It's almost like right. a minute-per-minute, you know, like, mm-hmm. blast of a new headline that we kind of absorb and it's just we haven't completely processed the last headline and you get this new headline and I mean this in a global scale not necessarily just mm-hmm. a local situation but you get and I guess yeah. the next thing and like this is the story that I guess I've been wanting to get at the whole interview is how you mm-hmm. were able to produce the testing capacity at the Red Cross and how that works and also what it's been like for you on your first day. Oh, well, it's been um, quite challenging to to put up this testing center. Um, uh, The equipment came from China. um, And, you know, for a couple of weeks, things couldn't come in from from China. We had a lot of logistics delays. Um, That's why we're only up and running um, this week. Mm -hmm. But with the help of um, Secretary Teddy Boy Luxin at the DFA, and our embassy in Beijing, we were able to facilitate finally um, the shipment of the equipment here. We were able to set it up. Um, BOH and RITM had to come and inspect because they have to approve um, all testing centers that come up. Then you, of course, have to train people to to use it, and then you have to 
to devise the system for people to come and get tested and all this. And, um, you know, because so many um, people um, want to do the, the testing because we're, you know, the, the enemy here is an invisible enemy, right. this virus. So you have to find it um, so that you can contain it and treat people who are sick with it and therefore lessen the spread, right? Right. You can only find it if you test. And, you know, uh, up to now we're testing kind of just, sporadically and people who are not feeling well and come to test it doesn't really give you a good idea of the the real numbers um that we're facing as a country so um what we've done actually is there are several lgus in metro manila who have signed up with us to do their testing for them and we've devised a system where we provide the the swabs for the swabbing and we send it to them and they do the swabbing in their local areas so that we're not getting thousands of people at the Red Cross Center for, for testing. And then, you know, if there are sick people, then everybody's contaminated that way, right? So we send the swabs to, let's say, Quezon City. Um, and Mayor Joy Belmonte gets the people there swabbed. We've trained um, uh, people there. They do the swabbing. They send the swabs back to us. And then we run the tests in our labs. We also, of course, have a testing center where people can come and get themselves swabbed and tested. But for the, you know, the bigger numbers in the bigger communities, then it's easier to do swabbing in their areas um, and then take the swabs back and, and test them and then get the results back. For us, you get the results back in 48 to 72 hours. That's, that's great, EA. And um like you talk about this collaborative effort between LGUs and the Red Cross mm-hmm. and how everyone is coming together and the help that you receive from the national government. I think it's it's fantastic that you guys have all been able to kind of um, put your heads together and... It's by any yeah, hand. Yeah, by any hand. Yeah, exactly. By any <laughs> hand and it's, and it's at its finest. And yeah. um, I mean, I also wanted to know what it's been like, because you were saying earlier before we started recording the podcast that this is the first day that you kind of opened yeah. the testing capabilities to the public. What's that been like? So today was the first official day. So for the last, I think, um, four days, we've been running on sort of like a warm up basis. Right. Um, you know, just to see that the machines working, are working, yeah. people know what they're doing, you know, we have the system correct. Right. Um, so uh, today was when we officially launched it. We had a bunch of mayors um, go to the, to the Red Cross to sign their, their MOAs with, with the chairman, um, the mayors, and the, some of the cabinet members were there. Secretary Duque was there. Uh, Secretary Lorenzana, I believe, was there. Um, they went and toured the, the facilities to see um, that everything was in good running order. So we have um, two labs at that location um, in Mandaluyong. That's on EDSA. Um, and then we have another one opening this week at our old facility in Port Area in Manila. Mm-hmm. Um, at, but today has been, I mean, we, you know, uh, social media posts went out yesterday that this um, lab is up and running. And when I woke up this morning, um, there must have been like 60 texts 60. on my phone from people who wanted to. So no wonder you think them. that it's a real, for you, the, you fall under the category of people who believe that it's a very real and pressing medical issue. And it's not just a, a slight case of the flu. 
Absolutely. Gosh, so it's been a pretty hectic day for you. It, so, yeah, it's been a hectic day. <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. Um, it's wonderful how we've just talked about how the Red Cross was able to procure testing capabilities. And as we've said, like, you know, like the whole experience encapsulating by any hand spirit and culture and the Mayan culture because you saw how the private sector, i.e. the Red Cross, sort of, you know, coming together with the public sector through the help of Secretary Teddy Boyloxin, sort of helping you bring these things in. Mm-hmm. And now you've had like the Secretary of Health personally test a see to it that the tests are up to scratch. So that's it's actually incredibly wonderful and inspiring to hear people kind of working together and making things happen. Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of wondering why, you know, if you had any theories or kind of thoughts as to why this culture of adversary politics exists, not just in the Philippines, but kind of globally, like during these sorts of times, you know, are, you know, mm-hmm. sort of, why does this, situation still exists do you think why do you think people still instead of just kind of coming together and um of course there's free speech and all these things that as a democracy we're more of course entitled to but i just wonder you know we have like this wonderful by any hand culture why is there anything you can kind of sort of say to explain why you think adversary politics still exists um well Besides the obvious that, um, of course, in politics, there are always allies and there are opponents. So there will always be, um, you know, each side uh, Mm -hmm. trying to either outdo each other or ruin each other. I mean, it's the nature of... It's the game. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's what it is. Um, Besides that, um, in the Philippines, I feel that our politics... um, unlike in many other countries, our politics is not ideology-based. It's mm-hmm. personality-based. Absolutely. And when there are conflicts um, between people, conflicts in those personalities, then um, this kind of adversarial politics um, comes up, as, as you said. And the other thing being that, um, you know, unfortunately, uh, this is just my opinion, there are people um, who seem to believe that they have a monopoly on good. They have, they're the, the only people who, who, the only ones who ever do good. They free people from tyranny. They are the only ones who know how to uplift people from poverty. And they have painted themselves always as the good guys. And everyone else who's not aligned with them is a bad guy. Um, mm-hmm. And Oftentimes, people who fall into one of those two groups um, will find themselves in the arena of a crisis and inevitably um, an adversarial situation emerges. Um, right, right. So basically, I think really uh, it's those three things that, that make for that kind of a situation. Right. Um, it's unfortunate. Um, it is unfortunate. It's unfortunate because we see how people who come from different political backgrounds exactly yeah. can also come together. Absolutely, um, absolutely, and, I and agree. Make 
something good of a bad situation and help um you know help people who are in need and beyond that even there are also people who have nothing to do with each other who don't know each other and yet can come together and do something good one of the things that i was actually wondering about and sort of kind of internalizing is you know sort of they say that and I don't know how true this is, but they, some people have suggested that there is a sort of crab mentality that exists within Philippine culture. Mm-hmm. And at first I was like, you know, why would, you know, why would charities or groups or individuals not want to help each other out and just kind of try to outdo each other? And I kind of felt bad, like thinking that, you know, that sort of thing might be possible in a crisis situation where you get one charity that's trying to outdo the other or individual that's trying to do each other. But what I've kind of like, I've just tried to reframe it, and I don't know if I'm being delusional or if I'm being optimistic, but I'm just going to choose to think of myself as an optimist because there's just, there's just no point thinking the alternate mm-hmm. in this sort of crazy situation the whole world finds itself in. But I also think that like kind of the that culture of, I don't want to think, say crab mentality, but I just want to say that competitiveness is not necessarily a bad thing because from competition, innovation arises. Yes, and of course, so, from competition makes everybody mm-hmm. else try to do better. Exactly. So at first I was like, because I, I heard these stories of like charities kind of, you know, trying to kind of one-up the other. Like my face mask is nicer than your face mask. Sort of, but not quite. Yeah, but I, I, but you get that, you know, I, I don't know how true those reports are. Again, these are unverified. I feel like this is anecdotal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think there was a lot of it happening. Mm-hmm. But I feel like if you get even a single story of that, it's even already shocking. Right, right. right. To, to get even a single report during a time like this, like how could you think that way? But what I've realized is actually... If it were true, and I'm not saying that it is, if it were true that these situations happened, I don't necessarily think of these things as a bad thing anymore. I think it's good that we're trying to do our best. Mm-hmm. And it's good. And I think, I think people you know, should also concentrate on what they do best and do that hmm. really well. Um, because, of course, you know, a lot of organizations specialize in different things, right? So right. I think if we can all be the best at what we do, um, then we'd be able to serve a greater number of people. Talking about being the best at things, I want to ask you about the work you do with Equestrian PH. Because ah, okay. you guys are the best in the country <laughs> at Equestrian. <laughs> Thank you. Um, uh, so we have an organization called Equestrian Philippines Inc., Equestrian PH, and we're a group of people who have been providing services to the equestrian community, all of us riders or somehow involved um, in the sport. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, there are a lot of people who need to be taken care of. For example, um, the grooms who take care of our horses, um, they're also on lockdown in the stables. I mean, these are people who, you know, on a daily basis go out and get food for themselves or go out and send food to their families. And and they can't do that now because of the the quarantine situation. So, of course, Mm -hmm. we also have to take care of them. And it's great that, um, you know, in the equestrian community, as in any big community, um, there are factions all the time. It can't be helped. Um, Really? In equestrian? Yes. You know, small as we are. 
Um, there are, of course, always factions. I wouldn't say small, specialized. <laughs> and specialized. you can't help it. But I've seen through this um, uh, COVID crisis, um, everybody has worked together. Um, everybody takes turns taking care of each other's grooms when you can. So like our group, for example, has taken um, the feeding of the grooms for two weeks. Um, I think the second week of the crisis and last week we took um, five days of each week to feed um, the grooms of everyone in the stable. So that was about 50 or 60 grooms and stable workers, regardless of who you work for, you know, what group you belong to, what team you belong to. I mean, you know, we're all cooperating here and helping each other out in the same way that um, uh, this really nice lady, Annie T, she owns Lugang. Um, oh, I love Lugang. The, Are they open? <laughs> you Do know, they deliver their open, food raw? You can buy food from them to send to frontliners. But I have to say, you know, like, um, I, I like to get the frozen food. I, I prefer to get the frozen food because I like... So I, I think they do sell it now. Yeah, I like to be able to, to cook the food whenever kind of I feel like mm-hmm. it. It's it's a, real, a little tough for me to reheat things. Yeah. But um, but yeah, like today, I just wanted to say I got my ramen, mm-hmm. my ramen order today, mm-hmm. which I was so happy about. Um, uh-huh. And it's fantastic. Mendokoro kind of packaged them in these little... Mm-hmm. Like every part of the ramen every mm-hmm. element of the ramen mm-hmm. is vacuum sealed right i'll have so something the... for you soon from ramen oh my god oh <laughs> competition see it's always a good see, thing great. yeah now another yeah, thing we've great. done another thing we've done as equestrian ph also is um uh there are of course a lot of other athletes um in the philippines and a lot of them live in the dorms of the philippine sports commission Right. Um, so they're they're in quarantine there, and of course they have needs also. So we've sent um, uh, twenty five gallons of alcohol for mm-hmm. for that group that's, great. that's there. Um, I was asking them what else we need because we of course want to take care of them because you know athletes are the pride and joy of any country. A country Absolutely. only ever comes together one hundred percent when there's an athletic event. Or, you know, when Manny Pacquiao is going to have a fight or when there's a Southeast Asian Games or an Asian Games and we're rooting for Team Philippines. Really, sports is such a unifying factor for the country. Um, And we really, you know, that's owed to the athletes, to the coaches, the officials who really work hard day and night. And so we want to support them as well. So um, we've gone and done that. And I've also um, let them know that if there are any um, athletes, national athletes from any sport who are in need of testing for COVID because they're exhibiting symptoms, then Equestrian Philippines is going to sponsor the testing for those athletes. Fantastic. That's incredible. Yeah. So you have so many things that's going on, Ia. Like Carissa, it's just so busy. <laughs> um. No, and you know, people, you know, everyone belongs to their own little community. Everyone has, Absolutely, you know, yeah. a lot of people have their own little projects. For example, yeah. um, Alex Eduke, who's a friend of mine and I know a friend of yours, she has her move ed going. So she's taking care of her own, you know, communities. Great, um, that's great. You know, feeding them and, you know, taking care of them. And I know that there are a lot of people who also do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, people who even own businesses who employ a lot of people. Um, are going above and beyond what's you know required of them to help their people because this is this is what we need now right right 
incredible to hear all the Bayanihan efforts that private individuals and institutions are doing in order to help stamp out the COVID-19 coronavirus threat. Um, but before we end our podcast, I, and I, I think I believe in ending things on a light note, if you can and when you can. And um, before we end our podcast, I wanted to ask you what's made you laugh most during these ridiculously unfunny times. Laugh because it's important. They so say much. laughter so is the best things, medicine. A lot of things have made me. A lot of things have made me roll my eyeballs. Okay. Um, but okay, laugh. I mean, I I found the the Juan Ponce and Rila <laughs> memes hilarious. Um, I think they're great. I mean, he's a brilliant oh, wow, man. Yeah. Um, you know, and one that I found particularly funny was um, where, you know, they have a picture of him and he says, Yung Three Kings, dapat apat yon nagbakal <laughs> And it's, you know, all about, of course, his longevity and his immortality. You know, resilience yeah. and, you know, immortality. And, and I understand he, he finds it very funny too. I saw that he had released a statement thanking people for all of these, you know, all the odes to his um, immortality. Yes, I'm gonna read. I'm gonna um, read that so out to you. Great. But this is not a verified quote. Mm-hmm. I just pulled this off Google mm-hmm. right now. It says, "Thank mm-hmm. you for the memes you posted about me. I'm truly grateful for all your imaginative and creative thoughts regarding me. May you also reach the same ripe age like me and run through the same experiences <laughs> that I've lived through on this planet." I actually interned at the Senate, and I've ridden like an elevator with him it was like so we often uh-huh. actually would ride the same elevator um mm. and it was such a treat because like every morning when i would go into work i would kind of look at the books that he was he's he always carried these books with him and like they had the most kind of intellectually intimidating titles like you know discourse on political conversation mm-hmm. or whatever right, like it was so right, intellectual right. and i always felt kind of inadequate sharing the same sort of air with him because like because <laughs> I just kind of felt that like gosh you know like just came out of uni um don't think I've read that book. I mean and he can spew gosh. he can spew and quote like laws you know off the top incredible. of his head and just need to open a book to check yeah incredible. I mean one of the Pretty things true. I I mean I found like I, I know these memes that you're talking about, right? Like, for me, the one that I found funniest was there was... Because I thought it was a real photo. There was a photo of him standing uh-huh. alongside... Did you see that one? Standing alongside yes, a dinosaur. In, like, kind of like a sepia, kind of black and whitish sort of finish. Right, and then right. he's like, this yeah. is my pet brownie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Like, I think I just, like, I was in tears. Um, oh, God. Yeah, was, was yeah pretty good, I'd, I'd say. Um, and with that, yeah, I want to say thank you for joining us on the Unlock podcast and sharing with us all this wonderful and interesting insight that you have on Bayanihan and help culture and all the sharing with us all the incredible things that the Red Cross does. Thank you for the things you do for the Red Cross. Thank you for the things you do for our country. And we wish you all the best. Thanks so much for having me, um, Jeff. It's I'm so honored to be the first, first guest. guest on your podcast. Um, and thanks for the chance to let people know what we do at the Red Cross. And hopefully we'll get more people interested in what we do and come and help out. Amazing. And we want everyone, asking everyone to stay safe, stay home. Um, and uh, as we like 
to say in the Red Cross, together we can have victory over the virus. Fantastic. Thank you again, EI, and we'll hope to speak to you again soon. Okay.